the best way to overcome that adversary is share your story, share your concerns. It's amazing when you do that. People will always want to help. They'll help you problem solve it or come up with a solution. So I think if you're facing that adversity, the more you share the problem statement, the more likely you are that you're going to find somebody coming up with it, helping you with the idea. Even if you talk through it and you find it yourself, it's always yeah. good. Welcome to Long-Term Thinking for Business Success, a show for and by business owners. Each episode will explore how to beat the odds and create a sustainable business and the life we've dreamt of. Today's guest is Louis Dupay, founder and director of Customer Driven. 2014, Louis and his business partner, Peter Trowbridge, established Customer Driven, a customer management, consulting, and services business. They set out to utilize their experience in leading large-scale customer service operations and develop a business proposition to assist corporate and government organizations to improve their customer experience and operational efficiency of their customer service operations. Nine years on, Customer Driven has now grown to an annual turnover of approximately $20 million and employs 90 people. Hi, Louis. Welcome to the Long-Term Thinking for Business Success podcast, and thanks for joining us today. My pleasure, Rick. Just to start our conversation, can you tell us about Customer Driven? What's the change you want to make? Or to put that another way, what's the vision you're trying to deliver? And who do you hope to help? We've created a mission, which is creating customer experience heroes. And it's a bit management cliche, that term. What we're trying to do is help organizations deliver better customer service outcomes for their customers, both in terms of the experience the customer has being a better one, also in terms of operational efficiency to make sure that they can keep the cost of delivering that service down as well. Who typically are your ideal client? When we think about clients, we think about people and that's part of that purpose or mission. We're thinking about making a person more successful. And those people are generally the people running large-scale customer service operations, marketing managers as well. Today, there's an emergence of role called the CX manager or C-suite CX manager that's responsible for customer experience. When you say large-scale, I assume that's enterprise, and as I said in the intro, large corporate and government, but typically what's the size of organization that would be within your ideal client base? Our idea is probably more mid to large. That's not to say we haven't built very small organizations, lots of not-for-profits. In fact, we started the business at the time that the aged care sector was changing to what was called consumer-directed care. So it created a marketplace when there wasn't one before. So we're dealing with a lot of aged care companies that had small customer service operations. In fact, needed to build them to meet that market need. Ideal, probably mid-market. The customer service operations generally contacts in us. Can be also face-to-face environments and even a bit of back office. But you'd be looking at 150-seat contact center, 200 seats. Could be an enterprise that has a turnover of 500 mil in that order and above. In government, we have larger scale customers. Services Australia is our largest customer, which is, of course, Centrelink and Medicare, and their operation is huge. It's over 15,000 employees. As I read in your LinkedIn profile, you started very much as an employee and found your way nine years ago into being an entrepreneur. 
Given your intentional journey into entrepreneurship and starting your own business, can you tell us the origin story of customer driven? Going back to your original point, I really grew up in the customer service environment and I grew up ages ago, for those that can remember, at Ansett Australia. And I started delivering customer service in the call center. I went through the ranks of team leader and manager and then eventually national manager of the customer service operation, the, the reservations operation, where 50% of the revenue was getting booked or the bookings would be made pre-internet days, of course. My DNA, understanding how to deliver customer service from grassroots point of view. Uh, from there, I went to other roles. I went on to Telstra, did a similar role at Telstra and Westpac, and uh, more recently, or the last corporate role was at News Corp. So after experience of doing all those roles and both managing the operation and also transforming operations to get better outcomes, I had a wealth of experience in managing those large-scale operations. After I left News Corp, I thought it might be a short-term consultant gig until I found the next executive role. I got more and more engaged in the consulting role and I got to the stage with the consulting that I needed to build a team because the customer said, all right, we like the strategy. Where's your team to help make it happen? That's when I called on Pete and talked about the fact that we needed to build a team for this client, but maybe there's a bigger opportunity here and moving from an executive role to an entrepreneur, as you say, in building out a capability, we decided that there was a gap in the market and something that we could contribute in that space. It's fair to say that it does take you down a different path. Being an executive with a big team, it's the leadership of that team is a motivator or gives you some satisfaction and driving performance versus consulting. You have to advise, you can't do it yourself. It's about influence and that impact rather than direct outcomes. Yep. Once I got my head around and Pete did as well, we can contribute valuably across many organizations rather than do it in one organization. We decided to go forward with it. From there, it was about building our business plan. Really, our point of difference from the outset was going to be that practical experience and leveraging it to help executives and operational managers such as we'd be to deliver better outcomes. The name Customer Driven originates from the strategy that was at ANSET. And the philosophy back then, there was a Harvard Review article that covered where companies needed to differentiate and compete, and you could be either operationally efficient or provide product excellence or customer driven or customer intimacy. And the idea was meet the market on any one of those disciplines, but excel in another. And ANSET chose to excel on customer driven. I saw very good consultancy at the strategy level, but as it got to making a difference in the organization, not as strong. Most of the people working those organizations have come straight from graduates and worked their way up. Very few of them have real practical experience how to make things happen in a customer service business. It's about people process and technology and understanding how to make change through the people aspect particularly is very important. We chose to differentiate on that point. And then we started to build our business plan that we were going to build an entity that was not about our income that could make a difference in that spot. You mentioned that one of the challenges of consulting businesses is that the staff, especially the junior staff, have had very little actual business experience within a company that have been consultants. Obviously you've built a consulting and implementation business. How have you managed to straddle 
that challenge as you've built a team and have you maintained the depth of experience as I'm sure you've moved further and further away from the actual implementation of projects and clients? To some degree, it's difficult because those consultancies are very good at telling the story. They are very good at diagnosing the problems and looking at the systemic issues and then being able to tell that story back to the client. And they have very good methodologies for that. And so we had to build that capability. We didn't employ any pure consultants. We have one or two that have worked in both consultancy and in the business. The vast majority of others have worked in the business and what we say on the business. We've had to build capability around that methodologies. We've got our own methodologies, our own IP, and we find that People that have worked on the business have a better engagement with our clients as well because there's that affinity. They can empathize and relate to the organization they're working with or the people that you say in the organization they're working with. One of the things that I find often is as a business owner is we often forget to celebrate our achievements and wins. In thinking back over the past nine years, what have you been most proud of the customer driven and why? Getting past those first few years of having cash flow. So going from a standing start, not when we've borrowed no money to get the business going, it's been bootstrapped by Pete and I. We both took a risk in that space and then getting past two or three years. And I've got to give credit to Pete. He's very good at managing cash flow and watching the numbers there. And so that meant that we didn't have any concerns about paying wages. We took a position early that we were going to have employees, not contractors. We had a few contractors, which is a variable cost, of course. Employees are a fixed cost. That was a risky approach, but it was really important to our proposition as well. We wanted people who are on board for the same reasons we're on board. And contractors could be, but mostly they're a free agent, a free spirit. And it's about how many hours they can bill out. We did take more risk with cash flow by having employees than a variable cost. That was certainly a cheap. I think winning some big deals that we didn't think we'd win because we're unknown. One with Services Australia way back when it was a tender that we had that came to market. We just had a crack at it and some degree we had to wing it. I think they asked for content that we would have had to build and we started to build it in the proposal. To win that, that led to more work in that space with federal government. Things that got us going, those sort of milestones worth celebrating. And then once we got past that stage and we've grown year on year and we've shared that story with our employees and they're all committed, I think they're all worthy celebrations for us. I'm sure it's of interest to some of our listeners, the bootstrapping cash flow staff question at the beginning, which may have gone on for a number of years at the beginning of the business. At what point did you bring on your first staff member and how secure was the contracts that you had versus taking a risk in terms of bringing on resources to grow beyond you and Pete? Oh, I was fortunate with that first client I had before we started the business. And we're also a little bit fortunate as we hit the sector, that whole sector didn't understand how to meet that market. My background is really about meeting that market from a marketing CRM customer delivery point of view. That gave us a, a bit of work to build out that capability, inquiry through to intake capability through a contact center from developing the services from customer centered service approach, 
With real research, what are the customers looking for in that journey as they search for that service through to standing up the contact center area? helping them understand what the jobs would be. The whole sector really needed us. We were fortunate that we got a kickstart with that one client and then that led to us getting out and talking to others. Year one, we got to about three or four employees and then from there we continued on. And it pretty much relied on Pete and I to get out and sell. It's always a challenge. This is why a lot of consultants can't break out of the single operator. You're either on the tools delivering or selling you can't be doing both at the same time. The only time you can do selling is generally when you're finished on the tools and then it's too late. You need your next pipeline of work. We are able to juggle both and, and that's how we're able to go and expand in other areas. We talk a lot about the peaks and troughs and winning business, prosecuting that business, and then suddenly looking at your pipeline going, ah, there's nothing for the next three months. And yes, you're right. It is often the single biggest challenge of an SME, even with a team. Just the life of an owner of a business has so many different responsibilities, et cetera, that matter. Juggling well, all of those can be did. challenging. We say we're in customer management advisory and services. We did decide as part of that, providing the practical support, we'd provide services. We have focused on the management practices that surround that contact center or customer service operation. So we established early in the piece workforce management as a service or as a practice to advise and knowledge management as a service as well as an advisory. Yep. But that allowed us to get ongoing and annuity revenue as well as the project revenue, which is very lumpy. We have a similar model in our business. We provide fractional marketing managers to businesses built on a plan, which is initial engagement, but then our goal is to deliver the plan for the business as well, which includes the retainer revenue and project revenue. First of all, we've got an annuity revenue. That conversation about your role and sales versus marketing is a good segue to talk about the next question. In the nine years that you've been running Customer Driven, I expect your role has continually changed from what it was at the very beginning. What have been some of the most significant changes in your role? And were these intentional changes, i.e. did you define what your role is going to become and then work to that? Or were they driven much more by specific circumstances? It's been more gradual change of role through growth. In the first instance, when we established the business, Pete was very much of the view that he wanted to be equal. So there was not going to be a CEO, we'll jointly get a manager. I've worked in organizations and organizational design generally says there's only one accountable. Yeah. I said, I don't know how that's going to work because there's only one A and yeah. committee led decisions doesn't work that well, but I've got to tell you, it has worked for nine years and Pete will tell you the same story. Most mornings, if not every morning, we have a 10 minute conversation. What's happening today? Anything we need to clear the way. We're very much about driving the business. What's changed? We're about selling, consulting and driving the business. And I still enjoy the consulting, but the tension used to become your Right in the middle of consulting, you're trying to run the business. You've got a leadership role as well, and you've got to sell. And it's quite stressful. You run out of time. We've got good leadership at what we call the practice level, but we're starting to groom and bring in people to take the role of running the business. In the first instance, take the consulting, and we've appointed someone that's going to do that and take more of running the business as well. Pete and I, we've moved out of that. And the next round will be sales. We'll sell with a sales force rather than be the salespeople. So 
we move more to looking over the horizon, strategizing how we take it through the next phase. And you might call that more light executive director roles where you're doing a little bit of work in the business, but you're also taking that sort of board level. Can we just explore the development of the leadership team around you for context? Tell us what you're doing now in terms of building a leadership team around you and transitioning the day-to-day management, if not the vision management, to the leaders around you. And when you said that it started late, when do you think you should have started if that is a fairly recent process you've started to embed? It goes back to cash flow. If you back yourself, you can bring in higher, more expensive roles, but then the cash flow needs to support it. So if you can grow fast, then, you know, you make that investment. What have we done? We've groomed most of our leaders. So the best leaders are the people that have come in at a level and we've developed them and they've stepped up. And the ones that are running the practice lines, and there's three or four of them, they have full PL accountability for their practice. And they're able to understand the decisions around what's going to impact profitability. They may not sell entirely, they'll probably sell with as a specialist, but they'll need, they'll know that if they're not getting that revenue in the door, how they can contain costs. They've grown a lot in business and commercial through that whole process. We spend time in developing our people in interpersonal skills. We've got our own training programs around that, leadership programs. A lot of this comes from the benefit of being in corporate life where the practices are in place and just need to be worked. We have annual performance planning where we sit down and work out, well, what are the plans person next year? Targets associated with that activities, reviews, and of course, development plans that are all formalized. And we put that in a very HR system. So it manages the full life cycle the performance plan and the development plans. We do have a future view of what the structure will look like and it's building it out as we get to that size and we're able to find the right people. Thank you for that. To go a different direction, most of our valuable learnings have come from setback or hardship. Can you tell us a story of an adverse event or challenge that has led to a positive change in customer-driven and what you learned from that experience? There's always setbacks, isn't there? There is a couple of rippers, I think. I'm just just trying to think them. I know that there's been anxious moments. Tell us about the most anxious one that comes to mind. I was not even the most anxious. I think it was the fact that we decided we wanted to build a knowledge management practice and we needed somebody to help us build what that was. I knew that it was an area that was needed and continues to expand and help either customer service agents deliver service or more recently customer self-serve online for knowledge. We did establish a client in that space and we had a go at trying to get people to uh, get trained in the space and we didn't do any good. And we were in a difficult position, which pretty much promised the customers that we we're going to be able to deliver it. We didn't have anyone. I happened to mention it to the vendor that we were reselling at the time. And I said, could you, could you help us establish the practice be in your interest because we're selling their software? And I said, what do you think we should do? And he said, it probably just depends on your cash flow. And I thought, all right, so that means talk to the hand. You're not really interested in hand, helping us. But the person that was running his professional services was in the room at the time, walked out with me and said, I'd be interested in being part of that. Well, it's amazing the solutions we can come up with when our back's against the wall though, isn't it? 
No, I think one of the things, and that was probably the best example, there's probably more hardships I can't think of it right now. Well, I think the best way to overcome that adversary is share your story, share your concern. It's amazing when you do that to people that may be on the peripheral. People will always want to help. They'll help you problem solve it or come up with a solution. So yeah. I think if you're facing that adversity, the more you share the problem statement, the more likely you are that you're going to find somebody coming up with it, helping you with the idea. Even if you talk through it and you find it yourself, it's always yeah. good. I can completely agree. That's a large part of why I run this podcast. I'll be completely on a selfish level. It's I get insight into every business I talk to and I can apply those insights into my own business. And I hope other business owners take the lessons and insights from guests to apply them as well. Just go down a completely different direction. And I'm sure the context of this question will appeal to your proposition around making heroes. A business is a collection of people. A business itself doesn't really exist. It is just a collection of people who need to work effectively together. What processes and tools do you use to motivate and mentor staff to get the best out of the team? And how have these changed again over the nine years from you and Pete to the first group of employees to now 90 people? I'm of the view the best motivation you can give to people is to help them in a role where they can contribute and feel some sense of accomplishment, self-worth in terms of what they're doing. And that's all about, I'm not coming to work, earn an income or to go to meetings. I'm delivering a better outcome. But day to day, that's giving good feedback from our customers and things like that about the work that's been done and celebrating those successes. And it's about performance feedback. The next level I think is a great motivator is developing people. people do come to work to earn an income and get more money, but they also come to work to grow. You want to be a better whatever role you are in a year's time than just sit there and do a job. And if there's talent that's been identified that can take you on a different career path that's interesting to you, then that's really big in terms of engagement. It goes to the basic principles of leadership, really, I think, and employee engagement. It's about how they feel that they're doing something worthwhile and it's got to be meaningful to them and to the organization and to customers. And then how they grow through the experience. And probably the third aspect, and it's all in our values as well, is having fun. They come to work for social engagement as well. Just to go a little bit further. So just focusing on the mentorship and developing people, as you've said, in their roles. Do you use any systems, processes, methodologies for the mentoring and management of stuff? We put aside enough time for understanding where people are at, what their ambitions are and how we can develop them. And that's in that development management cycle. Here's the accountabilities of the task. How do we get better at doing those things? And where to next? What else do you need to be developed in? And what do you, help do you need to do that job better? Whether it's external development, a course or some accreditation or what we can support you in that. Or intern, we have our own training programs around a lot of things. Right certainly in the leadership space and even in interpersonal skills and things like that as well. Excellent. I really like that framework. So thank you for sharing that. Just slightly different direction again. We define the role of marketing is to articulate the purpose and promise of the business first to the team, then to client, and then finally to prospects. We call this marketing on the inside and then marketing on the outside. This is driven by the insight that effective leaders articulate and communicate the vision 
and direction so that the team knows where they're going and can independently work to get there. I know that customer-driven is very focused on the vision and values that drives the business. So how do you ensure your team understands why customer-driven exists and the value that you create for your clients? And could you share some of the rituals or habits that you use to keep those issues top of mind? First, it's embedded in our onboarding program. So anybody that comes on board gets to understand the history and why we set up the business and what the objectives of the business are. The mission, as I say, around creating customer experience heroes. Underpinning that are things that we talk about being a trusted advisor and what the attributes of a trusted advisor look like and how that might relate to each of the jobs. We have town hall meetings monthly. When we're a small team, we used to do it all face-to-face. Now it's sometimes virtual. In the early days, we also do an annual, everybody get together and get back to planning again. So that'd be part of where we take the business next. So it's really, a, it's really about being very open in terms of where we're going, how we're going and providing that feedback and their contribution. At the individual level, we would definitely be providing feedback to individuals in terms of their contribution to business, whether it's ad hoc based on performance, customer feedback, things like that. We have chat sites, Yammer, where celebrations go up. There's pretty good culture of internal recognition that's spontaneous. It's not prompted by leadership. People calling out others, whether, you know, made the trusted advisor category or demonstrating those behaviors. It's an internal culture of recognizing there is rewards. A lot of it's ad hoc, to be honest. Fantastic. Thank you for that. A few times you've mentioned different processes or systems that you have in the organization. You mentioned the HR and learning development system, onboarding processes. And often I get told that creating systems and processes has been the most impactful drive to success for a business over time. I'm sure you've got, as you've alluded to, lots of them in your business, but can you tell us about one of a system or process that had a significant impact on your success and what that impact that it created was? The key is the business, and we advise on this, so it's the same. We go into a business, if the process isn't default, then people are making it up, right? Or you've got what we call a random experience because the people's going to take their own journey. So you need to define those processes and then the systems are generally routines and IT systems that support that process. So that's, that's a bit of business architecture 101, but we use zero for all our accounting. People do their time sheeting on it. It supports employees in their annual leave or the HR system does, but it's integrated to zero. So all of that is pretty straightforward. In each of the practices, there's methodologies that are already embedded. Those methodologies sometimes are in the software that we use in the practice. Yep. So it's layer upon layer, but the core ones, obviously, you've got to have big corporates have ERP, enterprise resource planning systems, but you've got to have a HR system, you've got to have a finance system, and you've got to have standard processes. You can't grow if you have to tell people how to do everything all the time. They have to know how to do it themselves. Yep. Microsoft 365 was a game changer because we got that established with all our procedures are on it, all our customer files, everything's there. Now, even though we manage KM, I don't think we've done the best job of information architecture on it. It always needs work to make sure people can find things and know where they should be filing stuff. 
but it becomes your main operating system. Yep. Agreed. So as we draw to a close, the purpose of the podcast is to really look at long-term thinking and where a business is going. And in the context of that, we believe that a great strategy is focused on the most impactful activities. And our experience, both within our own business and with our clients, is that a company can really only effectively work on a finite number of priorities, typically three or four at any given time. Can you tell us about one or two of your current strategic initiatives? And what I'm really interested in is the internal decision process you use to identify those initiatives so that then you understood and determined your priorities. I'll give you one, but we are about to go into a phase of planning the next horizon. So I'll come back to that in a minute. But through COVID, we started a contact center application reseller business, and we brought a couple of guys in that were where the business got acquired. So they were looking to leave and offer them some shareholding to come along. We set up as a separate business and it was very successful. The timing was very good in COVID, even though you'd say, you know, maybe the sky was falling with COVID. We didn't know what was going to happen. But what did happen is the work from home drove the need for cloud-based contact center apps to replace the legacy system. So it's grown well. However, it's not really leveraging the total capability of the business because on the advisory side, we can tell our clients how to get the best out of that technology beyond the immediate need to move into things, terms such as omni-channel, where you can manage customers across multiple channels. And it's the art form, particularly with cloud, in understanding how to leverage the tool, which is really about business consulting. How do you want to get a better business outcome? And that's practice plus tool. They've been running separately. Our strategy at the moment is to converge those two and lead very much in that cloud resell market for contact centers and consulting led resellers. We think there's a, a gap in the market. Most of them come from the SI systems integration backgrounds. So I can tell you how to get the complicated back end all working together. It's more about feature-rich applications need a good understanding how do I leverage that feature-rich application. So we think that's a gap in the market and that's a strategy we're going to be pursuing. A couple of months ago, somebody reached out to me because we talked about that we were using the book Scaling Up to get us through our planning phase, which was when you talk about systems, was very good just to get us focused around the key elements. They put me in a direction of another book which you're probably aware of as well, but I wasn't, for the strategy element, for which Sculling Up doesn't do as strongly. It talks about the planning and assumes you follow strategies. And it's called the Three Hag Way, which is about strategy development. It talks about the three horizons. It does go to that simplifying down what are the key strategies and execution of those strategies. We're about to use that to really plan out the next five years more of our strategies will build out from there. And that's important to Pete and I as we back out and allow the leaders to run the business in the next period that we can jointly build this strategy so they own it. And that's yet to come, but that'll be in the next three months or so we'll be doing that. That's great. Which was actually my last question. What are the next initiatives we're going to implement? So you've answered that question. But I do want to jump back to the example you used of the new system that you're embedding. Again, just to understand what was going on within the business for you and Pete when you decided to leverage that. Was it opportunistic because of the changes in COVID moving to cloud-based customer support and service? 
or was it really a strategic decision that you identified this is an opportunity and was it through discussion with you and Pete that you well, worked on the, it and then came we've, up with We've been discussing it for a while. We had a client, a very large client that had a merger and we won a tender to help them to extract the synergies out of pretty much their context in their environment. Part of that consulting engagement, we identified that there was an opportunity to move from premise-based to cloud-based. They had two of every the old legacy systems. And there was a considerable saving, particularly because they were, had volatile needs. There's very much a peak, very steep peak and trough activity. And so a consumption-based model was going to be better than a fixed price. So we took them down that path. We identified, we did a lot of work to change their service design anyway. So we identified all the requirements for the software, and then we helped them with the procurement and we sourced a supplier to supply pretty much from that. Silly, my take out talking to Pete was, Pete, here as the consultants, we've done all the heavy lifting. We've given them the requirements and in fact, the future design of how the system needed bigger down to defined core flows, ready to go. And yet they're getting the money to say that they have to build that. And that's really, it is a little bit more than getting in the back end of the admin of the system and configuring it, but not much more. Really, that's a business we should be in. And so that was where we had the debate. Cloud-based is more consulting than it is technical. That was the catalyst. And then the opportunity came up later. Right. Actually. Right. Thank you for that. Just one final question and just follow up on your comment throughout the Scale-Up book. So where is an EOS a business? But my understanding is Scale-Up and EOS are relatively similar in their proposition of the an operating system for the business. Can you just talk to some of the methodologies that you've leveraged within the scale-up framework that have been impactful in, if nothing else, the way you and Pete work together, but ideally at, a, at an enterprise level? It has many dimensions. People can look at the book, but effectively, it really is a good planning book to help you develop out all the attributes of the business to make sure it's not dependent on the founders. You're moving away from founder dependent to pretty much everybody knows why we're here, where we're going. So that's the vision and obviously purpose. How we act, obviously the values. And then how we manage to the key strategies and the routines to drive those things on a regular basis, pretty much what you've been asking. It has lots of tools in it that you can utilize as a way to make sure you formalize all the routines that are going to make the business sustainable into the future and stay focused on why it should be why successful. It's really about making sure that's all there for people. It doesn't mean it's fully locked down. You can obviously have strategies as long as you understand that they're really driving to the purpose that you set out to achieve, made you unique. So I think it's, as I say, it's not rocket science, but they lay it out very well in that book that you can follow the tools. It was a good process for us to go through to make sure we did get those systems in place and got everybody focused. 90% of businesses fail in the first two years and then of them, something like only 6% or whatever get above 10 million turnover. And that's because they're too reliant on the founders. Yes. You've got to get that business self-sustaining. And that's really about that business planning, putting those routines and processes into place. Excellent. Thank you for that. So nine years in, and it sounds like you're still 
reasonably involved in the business, possibly not day to day. What's the horizon for you and Pete to really be at a at a chair level of oversight of the business rather than in the operations and day to day? I'm day to day most of the time here, actually. So I am still very involved. Moving to probably 60%, probably in the next two years. We obviously, as we bring leaders in, we've got to give them space. I have no point in having a dog and bark as well, so to speak. You, you get a leader in, you've got to give them space. So we'd move to more coaching, mentoring, board, probably spending more time with key account customers if we could and helping with sales, things that have fun. Great. That's a perfect place for me to end it, unless there's something else you wanted to add in, Louis. No, that's been great. Yeah. Thanks for asking me the interesting questions. Thank you for sharing. I really appreciate your honesty and insights into what's made success for you and obviously lots of your clients, as you say, a lot of the principles that you're implementing with your clients are what you've used to drive the growth for you. So again, thank you for joining us and I look forward to uh, sitting on a beach with you in the next few years as you're leveraging your time to the choices you want to make. Yep. Or a golf course. Either will work. Either works for me as well. Excellent. Thank, thank you very much. Thanks, Ray.